Aloha and welcome to another episode of the English 2.0 podcast. My name is Al and I really appreciate you joining me today. I've got a really, really good episode planned for you here today. In fact, this is the first in a three-part three-part series that I think you're going to love because it is about one of the hottest topics in English right now. So how do I know that? Because I asked my students and the overwhelming response to this question, my question was, what is the number one challenge or concern that you are facing in English today? The overwhelming response was by far, Al, I have trouble with my fluency. So we're going to do a three-part series on this very topic, the topic of fluency. And so I have a lot of action-packed tips for you. So I want, to, I want you to you know, watch this whole video, come back next week for the second part, and then also in the third week for part three. And I'm sure you're going to gain a lot from it. And I'm really excited to help you out with this you know, really, really big challenge that my students are facing today and probably you are too but let me ask you this have you ever felt you know in your adult life since you've been studying English that you know you're in the middle of a conversation and you just struggle to you know continue it or you can't find the right words or perhaps you know you feel hey you know I have a lot of grammar I have a lot of you know English knowledge but when I speak, it doesn't come out as smoothly as I'd like. So what if I told you there's one thing, just one shift you can make to help you achieve that level of fluency that you've always wanted, to help you have those conversations that are easy. You know, they just feel like they're effortless and smooth or help you advance in your career, at your job, or just so that you can have a nice, you know, you can go travel and meet people and talk to them without feeling awkward. So for those of you who may be new to the English 2.0 podcast, my name is Al and I teach English here online. And I also taught English in Japan for over 18 years. Now I grew up in Minnesota in the United States and I grew up speaking English as my first language. So as many of you learned your native language, it came very naturally to me. Teaching English, on the other hand, that's a different story. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. But, you know, what I realized after teaching hundreds of lessons, talking with some of the top teachers in the world, and also pursuing my personal study about greatness, I noticed that all of my most successful students had one thing in common. And ever since I learned what that one thing was, I've been able to help thousands of more students on their journey to speak English more fluently. And the funny thing is, you know, even though personally I've been able to travel to 20 countries, I've been able to interact with company CEOs, famous athletes, even ambassadors to other countries and even pass the second highest level of Japanese test in Japan. What I really, really am passionate about 
is helping my students excel and succeed. To help them experience new things, take on new journeys, experience new friendships through English. I've seen it done many times. It's very possible. And I want that for all of you. Imagine, you know, dancing around in Disneyland, singing songs with your new friends from around the world, or maybe, you know, getting that job promotion because you were the one in your company who was fluent and confident enough to speak with other people internationally because you, you had a very good accent and you, people trusted you with their business. How would that make you feel? But it wasn't easy to get here. So let me share with you a story about me, something that I've never shared before on the podcast or on my website or anywhere. So back before I started teaching English, I worked at this company in Minnesota called West Publishing Company. And I remember sitting in my cubicle, you know, those, you know, typically at an office, you have a little, you know, partitioned kind of a cube where you have your desk and computer and your workstation, right? So I was sitting there and I just remember feeling so bored and uninterested in what I was doing. I actually put my head down on the desk, <laughs> even though I wasn't really sleepy. I just, I just lost complete interest in the job. Even my, my, I remember my boss came and he didn't hit me, but uh, he came and scolded me like, you know, get your head up off, <laughs> off the desk. I remember that. Um, but the point is, I just felt so, you know, tired of the job. I just didn't want to be there anymore. And, you know, I didn't even realize why I was so dissatisfied. But I knew I just had to get out of there. I knew I had to make a change in my life because it started to get, you know, really boring every day uh, and repetitious, you know, the same thing every day. So I knew I needed to make a change. If I knew if I stayed at that company, so again, West, for those who don't know, they publish these big, thick law books that you see in the movies sometimes, you know, the legal information and that kind of stuff. And I knew, you know, whatever job I do there, you know, no matter how long I work there, if it's for the next 10 years or 20 years, 40 years, stay there until retirement, whatever a job I do there, if it's in, you know, marketing, if it's in publishing, if it's in whatever, it's going to be related to law. Me, I'm not passionate about law at all. So that would be like really torture for me to stay there any longer. So I knew I had to get out. And it wasn't until a friend of mine recommended that I teach English in Japan. So I set up a job interview uh, with one of the famous English conversation schools in Japan called Eon. Uh, for those of you who are from Japan, you know what that is. Uh, for those who are in other countries, it's similar to a Berlitz, uh, you know, something like that. So it's a major company. And so I, the, the problem was though, <laughs> the interview was in Chicago. Now, you know, you're not familiar with uh, probably not familiar with the geography, but from my hometown Minneapolis to Chicago, it's about a seven hour drive. <laughs> uh, 
but I did make the drive because that's how desperate I was to, you know, escape my situation. Uh, so I drove down to Chicago and I remember sitting in the interview room. It was a, a group interview and the main interviewer was named Tom and he had kind of short blonde hair, medium height, and he was just very emotionless, like very robotic. I remember that very well. But I was sitting there, we had six um, interviewees all together in the group interview. And our, the first thing we had to do was give a five minute demo lesson with the other interviewees acting as students. Now, if I had never taught anything before that point in time. And so five minutes seemed like a lifetime, like an eternity. So they picked names out of a hat to go first. And guess who went first? <laughs> Me. I was chosen to go first. Oh my gosh, I was so nervous. And Tom even pulled out a timer for five minutes and started timing it to make sure that, you know, you spent the whole five minutes. You couldn't end early. So I, I went through my demo lesson. Um, it must have went well because I was called back for a second interview, which was the second part of the process. And that was an in, uh, individual interview that time. And actually, I almost didn't go. I didn't go because I started to get nervous. You know, maybe I was afraid I was going to fail. Uh, I was afraid of leaving, you know, my life behind. There was something kind of, you know, giving me this resistance to go to the second interview. But I thought about it and I thought, hey, you know, I drove seven hours <laughs> to come here. I did, you know, I did a demo lesson to get to this point. It'd be a waste not to do it. So I ended up going to the second interview and that decision right there ended up being one of the best things I've ever done in my life. I passed the second interview and I got the job, obviously, <laughs> got the job. But I then realized that it was gonna take three months for the whole, you know, all the paperwork and visa to get processed. So I did the interview in July, but I couldn't leave until October. So that was, it seemed like a lifetime, <laughs> those three months but I knew I had to wait. It was painful, but worth the wait. So I arrived in Japan finally, and I went through training and it was so exciting. Like I was in Tokyo for the first time, for the first week. And it was so exciting, you know, seeing all the flashing lights, just like it looks on the, you know, in the movies and on TV. And just so, you know, like an energy throughout the city, you know, it's a much bigger city than my hometown. So it was, you know, it was really exciting. I remember, you know, seeing all the vending machines lit up um, and having that convenience, uh, going to a Japanese uh, fast food restaurant where you buy the little ticket first out of the machine, where you could buy your little, you know, beef bowl of, uh, with rice. And it was so exciting, like, and still, you know, I, even though I was there for 18 years, it was, it was exciting every day. But I went to my school in Yokohama. Yokohama is just right outside of Tokyo. And I started my first day. And actually I watched some other teachers for a couple of days. You know, just trying to get used to lessons and seeing actually, you know, how to do it 
in real life with real students. And finally, I got my opportunity. I was really excited to get in there and I dove in headfirst. And the students were so nice and so passionate about learning English. It was really, I mean, all that I could have ever wanted and more. And so right away I could see that they're really improving. I mean, their vocabulary was building. Um, they're really good at grammar. Um, their listening was getting better and better. But after a while, I started to notice one thing that was a little troubling and a little puzzling to me is that they still struggled a little bit with their speaking, with you know natural expressions and pronunciation. And I started to think, wow, you know, this is something that you know I want them to be better at but it's not going that way so far. And so, you know, I even had one student named Mina and I remember, you know, she was so good. I mean, really, she was so knowledgeable, so smart and, you know, she could do the drills in class. But when it came to the activity where, you know, we had to like do a role play, she would just freeze up and she couldn't do the speaking part so so well. In fact, I had another student who actually got you know, really nervous and left the class. I mean, she was really embarrassed. And so I know other people feel like that. You know, they have, you know, maybe the shyness or they feel embarrassed when they try to speak. I realized that at least in this part of English, I had failed in my teaching. You know, I just, I realized that my students you know, they didn't care about being really book smart so much is that they wanted to be able to, you know, speak smoothly. They wanted to be able to connect with new friends. They wanted to be able to travel around the world without, you know, feeling worried or scared or unsafe. They wanted to get a job promotion at work. They didn't want to learn English so much as they wanted to be able to speak English and that's when I knew something had to change in fact I had to make a change so I'd like you to ask yourself this question does that sound like you have you ever felt you know like you struggle in a conversation to you know spit out the words that you actually want to say you know, express your feelings in a smooth way? If the answer is yes, then I really would invite you to check out part two of this fluency series, which will be coming out next week. And in that episode, we're gonna talk about the three hurdles to fluency that you need to overcome, and I'm gonna show you how you can overcome them. And then I'm gonna talk about a little bit about my journey through the Japanese uh, language and how I became more fluent in Japanese and much, much more. So I'd like you to you know, stay tuned for that. If you found value in this episode, I'd like you to invite your friends to check this episode out as well. I really appreciate that. You can, you can share this on your social media channels. And actually, I wanna help you get started with you and your road to better fluency. And I created a list of the top 25 hot 
idioms for 2020. So that's a new thing that I've made just for you, just for this special series. Well, I'll probably keep it up after this series, but just for you, check it out at alsensei.com slash idioms. Okay, alsensei.com slash idioms. Be the first ones to get that. And I know, you know, people want to learn natural expressions and idioms. So that's why I created that list of 25 idioms hot for 2020. Okay, so they're current, they're useful, and you know they're not out of date. Like, you know, if you're still saying phrases like it's raining cats and dogs, it's a little bit out of date. So you want to get your idioms up to date. So be sure to get that. It's free at alcente.com slash idioms. And if you have any questions about fluency or you want to share something with me about your struggles, please feel free to email me al at alsensei.com. I would love to hear from you there. And until next time, thank you so much again for watching the English 2.0 podcast. I will look forward to seeing you next time. One.